World's Finest Podcast, Episode 46. I'm your host, James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello. Greetings to you, sir. How goes it? I'm warming up. Uh, last couple of days in the Chicago area were cold. I mean... Uh, tell me about it. it. I swear to God, it dropped to 11 degrees uh, the other day here. And yeah. when I went to work at the other morning, it was 14. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> it was dangerously cold. Like... Mm-hmm. They were saying, you know, if you're outside in the weather for 10 minutes, you're really starting to risk some serious problems. I had to uh, fold up a fleece blanket and put it in front of the door to kind mm-hmm. of block some of the draft that was coming in. I got myself a uh, one of those like, portable space heaters for yeah. just a room. Oh, it is it is heavenly. Yeah. My room is always so fucking cold, and I hate it, and now my room is the toastiest in the house. <laughs> yeah, I was tempted to use some Target gift cards I had to shoot over there and get a small space heater that I could place under the desk where I update Earth2.net and record all my podcasts. Um, but I was like, you know what? Getting the space heater would require me going out in the cold that I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, I'd rather be in a house that's maybe 60 degrees than go outside into negative 20 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Good call. Yeah. Uh, but enough of that. Let's get into some emails because I know uh, we have to catch up because we have the ones uh, yeah. from two episodes ago and from last episode. So let's mm-hmm. just do it. All right. Uh, catching up here, the first one from last week uh, is from TJ, who writes, Hey, guys, first off, let me start by saying that Mad Stan is the bomb. <laughs> Sorry for the really lame pun, but I love this character. I just wanted to thank you two and Ian for doing Batman Returns and releasing it on Christmas Day. Since I was a little kid, it's been my favorite Christmas movie. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about the headache neon films, by which I mean Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Thanks for the great podcast, guys. TJ. I'm going to give you two other films that are Christmas-themed and are infinitely better than Batman Returns. The first is Die Hard. The second is Gremlins. Gremlins? Wow. I haven't seen Gremlins in probably 15 years, at least. Oh, I love Gremlins. I, I, I'm i due to watch that movie again. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I love I'm due to watch Die Hard again. Oh, that's another one where I try to sit down and watch that every couple of months, because it's just a fantastic fucking film. Mm-hmm. And next one is from John, who writes, Guys, recently I had an interesting thought. Previous to this podcast, I was never really interested in Batman Beyond, mostly because I don't like the idea of Bruce, A, retiring, and B, passing the mantle of Batman to someone unrelated to his past, like Grayson and Drake. However, recently it dawned on me that Bruce didn't really pass on the torch at all. The two might have uh, been Batman's uh, heir all along, Grayson for unknown reasons, and Drake due to the events in Return of the Joker, and given that Grayson is never even mentioned really in Batman Beyond, we can infer that a relationship between uh, between him and Bruce is severed. During Rebirth, though, we see Bruce retire uh, Batman entirely. He doesn't assign anyone the role instead just uh, to just let Batman be never again. 
Terry becoming Batman was never Bruce's idea. Terry takes the suit without his knowledge. Eventually, Bruce become, uh, comes to respect Terry and fully support him as Batman, but Batman Beyond isn't really a show about the heir to Bruce Wayne's Batman. It's an entirely new Batman that Bruce Wayne eventually accepts. Bruce Wayne's Batman is long gone by his choosing. I thought that it was an interesting angle, and the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. I'm not sure the DC Bruce Wayne would ever want to retire. Obviously, H would eventually get the best of him, but I'm not convinced he would ask someone like Dick or Tim to permanently replace him. He might accept a newer Batman, but I think Bruce Wayne version—I uh, think the Bruce Wayne version of Batman—should maybe move on when Bruce does. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I don't think Bruce would ever, you know, kind of retire quietly into the night. He is the type of guy that would have a contingency plan where, let's say, he died in a really lame fashion <clears throat> that would install someone else into the role, be it Tim or Dick or Azrael again or someone else. All right, next one is from Brian, who writes, As a fan of the DCAU and a guy who bought his first comic book over 27 years ago, I wanted to let you know that uh, how much I enjoy your podcast. I'm currently an expatriate living in Bangkok, Thailand, so your podcast literally has fans all over the world. Awesome, awesome. Uh, I've not really followed the Batman Beyond series and have largely stopped buying comics, but I've really enjoyed the Justice League, Teen Titans, and Legion of Superheroes ser- uh, series. My son, age 8, and daughters, age 7 and 4, also love the shows. The DCU has allowed me to pass the torch to another generation of fans. I would have been truly sad if my son could name all the aliens in Ben 10, but not know the Martian Manhunter's powers. <laughs> now, now, I like Ben 10 Alien Force. I'll admit that. Um I also want to give you props for your last podcast where you were talking about a chili restaurant and mentioned Cincinnati. I've lived, I lived there most of my life, and the comment was spot on. <laughs> Thanks for helping me stay in touch with American culture. I can't wait until you get to Justice League. What did we say about a chili restaurant? I don't remember. Oh, we were talking about um, it was the episode Rats, and uh, the chili restaurant was – I think that was it. We were talking about the chili restaurant, and I made a comment about it just being like you were – putting on an evening dress to go into downtown Cincinnati or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's right, because Dana was wearing that fancy dress. That's right. Okay. All right. Next one is from Joseph. All right. Hey, guys. Happy New Year's. I agree with James about John Ritter and David Faustino as guest voice actors. Perfect for the episode Last Resort. That's what makes uh, the DC Animated Universe series so great, is that lots of actors who have been known for other television and movies uh, get a chance to shine here. And I got lots of... Uh, favorite voice actors. For example, David Warner. I saw him in the movie uh, from 1982 uh, called Tron. He was in Tron? Yeah. Wow. I I didn't know that because I have not seen Tron in... I I literally don't even know when the last time I saw that movie was. That's a movie everybody should see, like, once a week. Tron's (laughs) awesome. Fuck the haters. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Michael Ironside, perfect, is Darkside. And finally, from uh, Justice League No Frontier, Kyle McLaughlin, voicing Superman. I saw him in the movie called Dune, and he was really good. Um, and finally, the best thing about Justice League is that I enjoy the relationship of Batman and Wonder Woman and begin to wonder what would uh, happen if they chose to stay together, because to me, they make a good couple. Thanks, and Happy New Year's, Joseph. I was in Target um, yesterday, I think it was. Yes, it was yesterday. I'm walking down the toy aisle, as I'm prone to do, because I'm a 30-year-old, but kid at heart, of course. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the DCAU Justice League action figures, and there was a Batman figure, you know, done in the Bruce Tim style. No big deal. There's a thousand and one of those. This Batman figure was part of a series called, like, the Fan Series, or something like that. And he came with Wonder Pig. <laughs> 
awesome. And the Wonder Pig actually had the gauntlets on its front hooves, too. Oh, my God, that is fantastic. I came so close to buying it just for the pig. I didn't even want the Batman figure. I just would have put it in a bag that I have set aside of things that are going to Goodwill. And I just would have kept Wonder Pig. I'm tempted to go to Target tomorrow and look for that. Getting back to the emails, next one is from Heidi, who writes, Okay, one down, 999 to go. At my high school, they did have, uh, did have egg babies, and yes, there were real eggs. And I broke a friend's while going home because me and the bus driver were uh, singing the wheels on the bus, and she slammed on the brakes. Oh. P.S. I love you guys. This podcast is an orgasm for the brain. <clears throat> oh, well, um, oh, okay. I'm blushing. Thank you. <laughs> Boy, that's the first time I've ever heard that description of our podcast, but hey, we'll take it. <laughs> um, I would like to thank everybody who wrote in at the forums and through email to let us know that their high schools did, in fact, do that um, parenting uh, exercise. Uh, some people said they had computerized dolls. Some people said bags of flour. Some people said eggs. Mm-hmm. We got a ton of responses. Especially on the forums. Yeah, exactly. No, we actually got a lot of emails, too, um, that we're not going to read on the air because it really was just, oh, my high school did that, too, or I did this, I did that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, again, thank you to everybody. I think we might even have one more email that mentions uh, that uh, uh, class exercise. Yeah, that would be this one uh, from Dimitri, who writes, Hi, James and Mike. I wish you a happy new year and look forward to uh, towards new WFP episodes. Batman Beyond is one of my personal favorites. It goes even to an extent that I have the Land to Sky Batmobile on my desk. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, even though it is a hovercraft, it does have four little wheels for support at the bottom, mm-hmm. but in a way it looks as if it's hovering. I liked all of, all, all of your reviews from Rebirth on, although it's kind of funny that you give good grades for the eps I didn't like and mm-hmm. vice versa. But that happens rarely. I don't like the character of Max either. However, her voice is pretty, pretty memorable. You forgot to mention that in the episode Hidden Agenda, when Max told Terry not to call her Robin, he said, okay, Alfred. Good that from time to time, Bruce tells him about the important people from his past. But in Return of the Joker, it turns out that Bruce hadn't even mentioned the Joker to be one of his major villains. Lastly, about the egg baby question. My high school had a health class in which teachers would assign a doll to pairs of students. They would be compelled to carry that baby from classroom to classroom for a couple of days. The dolls had some sort of device that recorded the parents' participation. But that project was rather voluntary because you could have signed up for sex or drug education. Anyway, that's it from me. You're doing a terrific job. Keep those episodes coming, and good luck. Thank you. Now, uh, I have a quick question. It's been a little while since I've seen Return of the Joker. Uh... Does Terry have any idea who the Joker is or not? Because I'm just assuming Batman never mentioned the Joker because the Joker would have left behind a massive legacy. I mean, there's gangs called the Jokers. So I didn't think Bruce had to tell him about the Joker, where he would maybe have to tell him about someone like the Riddler who could have realistically just sort of faded into obscurity. Terry uh, says, it's funny, you've told me about all your other major villains, but never about him. See, yeah, that's right. I remember that line, but I sort of took that to mean, I know who the Joker is, I know what he's done, but you've never spoken about him. I guess you could see it that way, yeah. Right, and that would be because Bruce doesn't want to talk about what happened. Yeah, I can certainly see where you're coming from there. Next one is from Aaron, who writes, I can't remember, but I think it was the first episode you did this uh, last show where Terry tried to tell everyone that he was Batman and everyone laughed at him. 
but I saw a slight Spider-Man parallel. When Peter Parker was sick, he was unmasked, and no one believed that he was really Spider-Man because no teenager slash geek could ever defeat Doc Ock or be Spider-Man. I saw the similarity in that because I think that uh, his mom and brother might have thought, no ex-juvie like my son could be a noble superhero. What do you think, or is this there another thing entirely that I'm missing? I actually remember that Spider-Man episode from the... 90, the early 90s cartoon. Oh, I'm, dude, I'm, dude. Oh, oh it's, it's based on a classic comic book. Let's call it an episode of the cartoon. Oh. Uh, dude, come on. I don't read, I haven't read a lot of classic comics. Oh, my heart. It's hurting. Oh. <sighs> I'm sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> no, okay. No, I remember that. I just saying I was, I remember, uh, remember that Spider-Man episode where Doc, Octavius uh, takes his mask off. He's like, what? This is a joke, right? Did they actually do that in the cartoon? I'm, I'm not remembering that one. Yeah, they did. Uh, it was when Parker was losing his powers. He couldn't, like, stick to walls or yeah, whatever. And okay. So, and because, you know, he he wasn't showing any of his powers, the, peop- the, the villains were like, yeah, this has got to be some kind of joke. In regards to the way Terry's uh, family reacted to his big revelation... Um, I don't think it's so much, you know, the whole, oh, my son who used to be a juvie, uh, it, you know, could never be Batman. I just think it's like, my son couldn't be Batman. It has nothing to do with his juvie record. All the last Cosmos games are connected to this computer. From here, I keep track of many things, including the player's scores. Shway. You three represent the cream of the crop. The highest scorers in all Gotham. Ultra Shway! You are here because each one of you has shown extraordinary aptitude. To us, Last Cosmos is more than a game. Yeah, it's our whole life. Your devotion reflects a profound commitment to the ideals of the centuries. But are you ready to take the next step? to become real centuries of the last cosmos. A long, long time ago in an animated universe far, far away, there was an episode called Centuries of the Last Cosmos. It is a period of urban war, a delusional video game producer striking from a not-so-hidden mansion base and using a gathering of nerdy high schoolers has won his first victory against the rightful owner of a popular video game. During the battle, the Batman managed to figure out who sent these kids dressed in glorified Halloween outfits to destroy a computer database and a George Lucas lookalike. Pursued by the producer's sinister agents, the Batman races towards the mansion base to right the wrongs done to a poor fat slob who actually wrote the video game and stop the evil producer before he launches the Death Star and destroys any sense of sanity left in the galaxy. (laughs) Bra-fucking-oh! That's awesome! Oh, as you were speaking, I could just see the scroll <laughs> amongst the stars. Uh, I had to break up the, the, the monotony with a little, uh, since this episode is basically Star Wars meets Batman Beyond. Well, it's more than that. It's Star it's Wars. sci-fi. It's just sci-fi, a sci-fi kid's wet dream. Well, see, it, it, it's Star Wars meets Batman Beyond, actually, and meets The Last Starfighter. I don't yeah. know if you've ever seen that movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. because I remember the video game score being used as, you know, the determinant for battle-worthiness. Right, exactly. For our younger listeners, or people who have never seen The Last Starfighter, because I don't think it's... I, I never hear anybody talk about that movie, not even people who are roughly our age. 
Um, the general gist of it is that there's this kid who lives in a trailer park, and he loves this this one video game. And if I remember correctly, the game is called The Last Starfighter, isn't it? Yes. And um, he, he's getting crazy scores on this game, and it turns out the game isn't a game. It's actually a test to find, like, the perfect uh, space fighter pilots to go up against uh, some alien legion or something like that. Um, and this, as I was watching this, I'm like, okay, I see what they're doing here, this being a Star Wars. Um, I don't want to say homage, and I'll get with that in a few minutes here, but a Star Wars ripoff, we'll say, but there was a lot of Last Starfighter mixed in there, and that's what I was seeing more than the Star Wars stuff. But most people are going to see the Star Wars stuff, especially because of the music. Yeah. They were very clearly going for a Star Wars-esque musical vibe here. The problem is they never hit the power of the Star Wars scores. It's good music, don't get me wrong, but it it just lacked that. You know, when you hear the Star Wars themes, any of the themes, your heart starts racing. Well, and I mean, this is... This isn't exactly a very serious episode, but there's plenty of other sci-fi references. Philip K. Dick yep. uh, is mentioned in the episode, who, who's uh, you know his story, his sci-fi stories inspired Blade Runner and Minority Report and several others. But and then there's that little robot front that uh, you know is basically mm-hmm. an homage to Lost in Space. And when Terry picked it up, it made the communicator noise from Star Trek. So yeah, I mean this, this that's all this episode. This was just kind of a, a goofy fun episode to make as many sci-fi references as they possibly could. See, now this goes back to what I was hinting at a little earlier. They were making as many uh, uh sci-fi references as they could, including the Jar Jar one. There was that Jar Jar mm-hmm. reference. Um mm-hmm. but at the same time, a lot of it felt mean-spirited. It didn't feel like a loving tribute. It felt like ha 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 Sci-fi geeks are fat, ugly slobs. Look at them. They're lame. They all think they're Jedis. I mean, maybe I'm being a little too critical of it, but it just, it seriously felt like it was making fun out of the hardcore fans instead of actually embracing them and writing this episode to them. It actually felt like it was talking down to them. Yeah, I, I do see what you're saying there. What's the the main kid's name? Who's Corey? Corey, thank you. Um, he's he's supposed to be this, I guess, this really nerdy guy, and you know, of course, Nelson has to come in there and do his requisite. Oh, I'm a douchebag and uh, I'm a tough guy thing. Well, hang on, hang on. Let me interrupt there. Nelson gets all you know in in that guy's face, in Corey's face, but at the same time, Corey was in the wrong. He walked into Nelson, causing him to spill the drink on himself, but yet he yells at Nelson and. Nelson yells back at him like, dude, shut the fuck up. But really, none of that was Nelson's fault. Nelson really wasn't, I didn't feel, being the bully there because that guy wasn't watching where he was going. Nelson was standing still. Now, you know what happened because I was, I was busy writing a note and I turned, when I heard the, the cup knock that shit all over Corey, I was like, I just looked up and I completely missed who bumped into who. So, But my question about Corey is, this kid drives that bike did you see the bike that he was driving? Come on. <laughs> you expect a, a kid like that to be, you know, driving a minivan or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's driving an Akira bike with a blue palette swap. Well, see, that's the thing. If they were going to be playing up the stereotypes, which they very much were doing mm-hmm. in this episode, because, if, you, as you said, 
the guy who actually wrote the video game that got stolen, you know, his stomach is sticking out from his too tight shirt. He's got the big scraggly beard. He's living in a cluttered mess. And then we have the three guys who are trying to become Jedi. I mean, centuries. You've got the guy with the buck teeth. You've got the guy with the droopy eyes who could maybe be suspected to be a stoner. You know, we've got Corey, this hardcore gamer who believes that the fantasy is real. Well, they all really believe that the fantasy is real. So if they're playing up all of these stereotypes, why did they suddenly give him this badass bike that, as you said, is very Akira-ish? And actually, I saw it as being a very Tron-like light cycle-ish kind of bike. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about Tron. Always think about Tron. No, I'm going to think about Akira. (laughs) (laughs) But... Yeah, you're right. He should have had like a little moped or a station wagon or the hovering El Camino. That <laughs> last time we did an episode. I mean, yeah, there was there was no reason for him to have that ultra cool bike. Again, if they were playing up the stereotypes. Another question I have, and this goes back to the DCAU's greatest uh, running gag of computers blowing up. That one dude just slices a gash into a wall and it causes the entire building to explode. <laughs> that has to Wow. Be, yeah, I'm thinking about it. That has to be the biggest explosion caused by a computer being punched or kicked or sliced. I don't think we've had a bigger one. Today. Oh, I don't know. What about the, the tuning fork building? Ooh, yeah. This one would probably be number two. I know it won't be the biggest one ever, though, because... No, no. When Batman busts the Brainiac computer. That's what I was thinking of. When when that whole planet or whatever it was. Yeah, Brainiac's ship explodes with Darkseid inside of it, right? Yeah. This episode, even though I wasn't totally grooving on it, I think it had some decent kind of one-liners. Like when Terry comes upon the uh, the first crime scene and he sees that big smoking hole and he says, mm-hmm. a big smoking hole could be a clue. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, not Michaels. The uh, Was it Simon? Harper? The Yeah, Harper. The uh, guy who stole the video game. Oh, yeah. He was dressed up in the Jedi robe, which, of course, eventually becomes the Emperor's robe, and he has Force Lightning, and it was... All right, I have to ask this. Was Elden Michael supposed to be a lampoon of George Lucas? I don't know. Um, I mean, he, you know, Lucas has a beard, and this guy had a beard, but... I, the beards were too different, you know what I mean? And not to pick on George Lucas, he's kind of got that frog double chin thing going on. This guy didn't have that. I'm really thinking that he was a ripoff of uh, the comic shop guy from The Simpsons. Hmm. That's what I think they were going for there, just taking that to another extreme. Here's one thing I do have to mark off this episode for. When, the, when Batman is talking with uh, Michaels in his apartment there, the sentries bust in and set that envelope on fire. And then mm-hmm. the next time we see it, it's completely fine. No, Not even a smoke, little smoke coming off of it. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. Thank you for bringing it up. Because when I first saw that, I was like, oh, they just destroyed the evidence. And then two minutes later, the envelope's sitting there on the floor, fine. So I started thinking, did maybe they just shoot the guy's hand? But then I remembered, no, there was some fire. Um, so um, what I'm thinking is they did shoot the hand, but the animation company got a little overzealous, we'll say, and (laughs) animated in fire. 
and they just had to kind of roll with that punch because maybe they didn't have time to change it. I mean, I'm I'm really trying to justify it at this yeah. point. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, another Star Wars reference was the uh, not lightsabers, the the flame swords or whatever mm-hmm. they had. There's there's another one. Overall, though, I will say I think this episode had some pretty decent animation. Yes. Um. Now the last maybe thirty to sixty seconds when the sentries show up back at the the guy's apartment and, you know, they're asking, you know, oh, what did you mean by this and what did you mean by that when you wrote these scenes? That was a little off and maybe seemed a little rushed. Like, maybe it wasn't the original ending. Again, that's just me speculating. But Mm -hmm. everything up to that point looked really good. I mean, they had those little flying machines, which were very Kirby-esque. You know, there was that big uh, computerized holodome that the Emperor, or whatever his name was, uh, was kind of hiding out in the video game scenes to start this off. You know, there's some really good action in that with the guys, you know, with uh, Terry Max and Corey all flipping around and being chased and shot at. It really was solid from start to almost finish. When'd you get out? A couple of days ago. Thought you'd be at the gate. Yeah, I, um... Stop sweating, McGinnis. You're off the hook. Life goes on. Want to make it up to me? Depends on what you have in mind. Made some contacts inside big people. They got a job lined up for me. I could use your help. I am so out of here. Whoa, whoa. I say something wrong? A job, Charlie? I have a life now. School, a real job. And you just got out of jail. You know how long they'll throw you back for number two? Don't you want to do anything with your life? Hey, ease up, Tiny. You only have that nice life because of me. You owe me for playing your part down. Grow up, Charlie, for your own sake. Terry. Terry, wait up. You're right. You don't want to mess things up. You got a good thing going. You were the lucky one, and I got to face that. Hey, I'd love to go straight, but I don't have the same choices that you do anymore. I got a record. Who's going to hire me? Next up is Big Time. In this one, Terry meets up with his old running buddy from his uh, shadier days, we'll say. And uh, this guy's name is Charlie Big Time Bigelow. And uh, he just got out of jail after a three-year stint. It turns out uh, he was in jail for the same crime that sent Terry to juvie for 90 days. Um, All those, maybe it was like, what, at this point, a year, two years ago, something like that. I think it was um, three to four. Oh, maybe. was it three to four years ago? Okay, so a while ago. Um, and while he was in jail, this guy made some rather big, as he puts it, uh, connections. And uh, now that he's out, uh, he's helping them to steal some toxic chemicals from Wayne Powers. How he's able to do this is because he dupes Terry into buttering up Wayne to get him a job with Wayne Powers. You know, Terry, even though he knows Charlie is still making some bad life choices, he really wants to help his buddy uh, in, in any way he can. Um, but Charlie's not hearing it. He wants to be a big-time player in the underground scene. And uh, this basically causes Charlie's demise, because what happens is, during the big final heist that they're staging, that he's a part of, some of these toxic chemicals get spilled on him, which cause him to turn into a mixture of the Toxic Avenger and Joe Fixit, the Grey Hulk. 
Um, this all leads to a uh, final showdown between the mutant Big Time and a guy called Karos who has Wolverine slash Vega like claws. Um, that's just sort of where this one ends, really. Yeah, it does really end very abruptly, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like, hey, there's a fight on the roof. No, there's not. You know? <laughs> yeah, and how the Karos gets knocked off the roof there. Uh-huh. And then they just say that he got taken to intensive care or something. Yeah. No, Terry just watches him fall off the roof and doesn't even go after him. Yeah. One of the things I noted was uh, Karos died. And then, like, when at the end, when they say he was taken to County General, I wrote, County General, my ass, the morgue. Is the morgue. <laughs> and, I mean, he, I don't know how high they're up in that building, but it's implied that it's a sky rise. So... I don't know what he landed on. Maybe he fell through a dozen awnings before he hit a car or something. Or maybe he's got Nelson-like superpowers and he can just land in a convertible and somehow walk away. I don't know. But then Maybe he I... landed the Batcopter onto a bunch of mattresses. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe when they say they took him to County General, they mean they took his remains to County General. I yeah. don't know. But that was such bullshit that he survived in any way. Um, overall, what were you thinking about this one, though? And this is like a new record for fewest notes for me because this episode is just like, eh. I mean, I've, we, you know, one of my notes is we finally get an explanation as to Terry's juvie record in the third season of the show. Yeah, and his big crime was breaking and entering. Woo. I mean, they say he was part of some heist, but he didn't know the heist was going down. He wasn't quite sure what was happening. So they never really even get into what was happening. And they just kind of lead us to believe that the cops busted them on B&E. And I was like, really? That's it? Like, Batman does that every day of the week. Why is Terry so bad for doing it? I don't know. Um, I mean, but they explained I, because he was 14, they only gave him three months in juvie. Yeah. Did they say he was 14? Yeah. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, but I have to agree with you. This might have set a record for fewest notes for me too. I literally wrote two notes for this one. Same here. Again, Caros <laughs> fell to his doom, and Terry's big crime was breaking and entering. Now that said, I didn't dislike this episode. I know you're kind of meh about it, but I found myself in some way enjoying this one. Um, I was I was sort I, of watching it. Okay, it's not one of those ones that I'm going to pop in anytime soon and sit down and watch, you know, be, mm-hmm. you know, be, because I need to see it. But if I was having like a little Batman Beyond marathon, I wouldn't pick up the remote to fast forward through this one if it came on all mm-hmm. the same. I mean, it had some enjoyable elements. I liked the fact that they were getting into Terry's past. Yes, it's they're doing it a little too late, but they're getting into it. For what little we got of him, I liked Karos. I thought he was a pretty menacing foe. I didn't like the fact that he was dispatched so quickly. And then they brought in Big Time as a mutant and then got rid of him real quickly, too. I would He'll be back very soon, by the way. Big Time will or Karos? Yeah, Big Time. Oh, okay. I was, I was kind of hoping this was a one-off with him. But okay, does Karos ever come back? Uh, that I don't know. I just know Big Time comes back in our next WFP episode. Okay. He'll, we'll be covering an episode that he comes back in. Okay. Um, really, what I liked most about this episode was the voice acting. Uh, I thought Stephen Baldwin did a pretty damn good job as Charlie. 
Oh, and, is that who did him? Okay. Yeah, and then William H. Macy was Karos. No, really? Mm-hmm. And uh, then Robert Patrick was uh, Armacost. They got some really good voice acting in this in this episode. I have to give it that. Uh, while you're speaking about voice acting, I have to mention something that I noticed in the previous episode of Batman Beyond. Uh, when those three geeks went to the video game pro- programmer's uh, mansion, uh, one of them uh, sounded just like uh, Chris Griffin from Family Guy. Um, he, I think he only spoke briefly. I think he said shway, but it was very much in that kind of broken Chris speak that just, has kind of just hitting great. puberty speak yeah pretty much so um so i just thought i would bring that up it was just this little thing that i noticed um because i know uh seth green uh does nelson on batman beyond right right yeah so i'm wondering if they just had him do another voice just real quick they're like hey we have this other character can you do him sure and he just did chris <laughs> yeah other than what we've mentioned, I really don't have any more notes for this episode just because there's nothing that really just stands out like, oh, my God, did you notice this? Or, you know, this kind of sucked. It was just really, for me, just right down the middle. Yeah, now, what did you think about Charlie's mutation? You know, you could sort of start to sympathize with him as a character, and then they mutate him almost out of the blue. And I wasn't grooving on that. What about you? It didn't really have an effect on me either way, to tell you the truth. I because I found the rest of this episode just kind of boring. Mm. Not, or not necessarily. Some of it was okay. I liked the Karo's fight scenes with Terry because he was always ending up slicing Terry's back. Yeah, yeah. Which I dug. But I liked how they had that his one arm didn't mutate because he was wearing that glove. Oh, is that why it didn't mutate? I wasn't picking up on that. I have to think that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, really for me, it, it sort of goes back to what I said earlier where, you know, you think. Karos or Karos or whatever it is was going to be the big bad villain that Terry has the final showdown with, and that's not what it ends up being. It's just all of a sudden a mutant shows up and Terry boxes him for like three seconds, and then the whole thing is over. And I felt it sort of shortchanged the villain they were setting up throughout the entire episode. This center is dedicated to developing new and better ISO environments for those patients whose immune systems are unable to cope with the toxins and microbes of the real world. You mean they live alone in these little boxes? Glacial. Well, that's why we've been hard at work trying to come up with better solutions. These bubble suits developed in the last decade allowed our patients access to the real world for the first time. However, they're much too cumbersome for day-to-day living. That's why we're so excited by our newest invention. The ISO field generator rings. When worn properly, these devices create a diagravitational aura, which repels all matter, forming a safe barrier between the patient and the environment. Impressive. As you can see, Irene is completely protected by the aura and yet it allows her near-normal dexterity. Next up is Untouchable. In this one, a guy wearing a suit that seems to be completely impenetrable just walks into this building and uh, steals this canister of some some chemical out of this vat of just impossibly hot liquid. Uh, you know, he, it's like 400 degrees Celsius or something ridiculous like that, and he just reaches his hand in there and pulls it out, and it doesn't phase him at all because of this force field suit thing that he's wearing. And Batman tries to stop him, but the guy basically just channels Vindicator and shoots force fields out of his hands and just stops Batman 
almost immediately. Well, Bruce tells Terry later that he's seen this kind of thing before, and he goes. He and Terry both go to R and D at Wayne Powers, and they get the rundown of this force field technology uh, that a doctor there is using to allow people with uh, communicable diseases that, uh, that basically kind of like uh, HIV that just destroy the immune system and it allows them to walk around completely unharmed because no germs or anything can get inside these force fields. Um, and the guy, the guy showing them this is named Dr. Suzuki, I believe. Yeah. And the, yeah, and the director of the R&D department doesn't take kindly to uh, him showing Wayne, uh, you know, the specs of this project. Uh, his name was Dr. Blades, I believe. Yep. And uh, so in the meantime, Terry is in another room uh, talking to this girl named Irene, who is forced to wear this force field suit uh, to leave her kind of bubble enclosure. Uh, and so anyway, that night, uh, the repeller, as he's being called now, uh, walks out of a vat of molten steel with a second isotope uh, for these terrorists who have uh, clearly hired him. And he has... Uh, he says he has one more isotope to get for them. And uh, the next scene, I think Terry's meeting up with Dana at uh, the Chuck E. Cheese ripoff. And uh, he prattles on about this Irene person, which causes Dana to get jealous. And uh, when Terry receives a phone call from Irene, she just storms off. And Irene tells Terry that she's lost in the city and that she's escaped her enclosure at Wayne Powers. Well, they go to the beach where Irene says that the only sensation she can experience through this force field is sound, and she panics because her force field suit is about to run out of power, and they get back to the lab just in time where Dr. Blades is waiting, and he is not too happy. He bans Terry from the building and grounds Irene, in essence, and later Bruce tells Terry that uh, this, these isotopes that uh, repellers, uh, Repeller is stealing can be combined with a third isotope to create a very, very nasty explosive. So uh, Bruce ten, uh, sends Terry off to uh, Bloodhaven Nuclear Plant. Woo! Mention mm-hmm. of Bloodhaven. Yeah, is this the uh, first mention of Bloodhaven? Yep. Okay, I thought so. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Repeller is actually waiting there for Batman. Uh, and so in the meantime, Irene has found a spare suit at uh, Wayne Powers, and she gets out of her enclosure. She calls Terry's house, but and she tells Matt to tell Terry to meet her at the beach, but Matt doesn't really listen. Uh, Batman and Repeller are duking it out outside the plant, and Repeller manages to drop Terry into the ocean, trapped in a big pile of rocks. Well, he thinks he's dead, and he walks away. But uh, back at the lab, Irene goes to get these the Repeller rings, like a second suit, uh, but Repeller actually bursts in and finds her. Uh, he reveals himself to be Dr. Suzuki, and uh, before he can dispatch Irene, Dr. Blades comes in, and Repeller... Uh, just reveals that he thought it would be more profitable to use these rings as a weapon rather than for medical purposes. Batman shows up, and they start fighting. Repeller, you know, knocks him away into a, uh, a hangar where there's some huge, huge-ass turbines uh, on the walls. And Batman remembers that the sound is the only thing that can penetrate the force field suit, and he hurls a batarang into the controls, and the, t- the turbines just turn on full blast. Repeller keeps walking towards him, but uh, Terry is... Uh, shielded his ears with these headphones that he got from someone who was working in the in the hangar before they busted in and uh eventually this intense sound is too much for suzuki because he can't even cover his own ears because of the force field suit and he shuts the suit off and gets sucked towards the turbines but he's you know batman saves him just in time and uh the next day 
Terry tries to tell Irene about Dana, but she reveals her boyfriend, who's another patient at the Wayne Powers uh, lab. And before you know, before Terry can say anything, and uh, Bruce asks how she took news, and Terry just says, "Better than I thought." That's where it ends. I didn't even pick up that Suzuki was beaten because he couldn't cover his own ears. I got that it was the sound of the turbines that did him in, mm-hmm. but I didn't notice that he couldn't cover his own ears because of his suit. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, before we say anything else about this one, I have to say I am so glad that they addressed how the people in those suits are able to breathe. Because Irene flat out says, or maybe it wasn't Irene, it was one of the doctors, flat out says that nothing can get in there, which means germs, microbes, nothing at all. So then Mm -hmm. how does oxygen get in? Well, Terry says, hey, how do you breathe? And that's when Irene says, oh, we have a little oxygen container that recycles our CO2. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, thank you for addressing that. Because if they didn't bring that up, I would have knocked this one down at least a point. Yeah. The other thing that I have to bring up right away and does sort of make me knock this one down a point is how Terry refers to Dana. At one point, he tells Irene, there's this girl. Dana, his longtime girlfriend, is just this girl? Like, seriously? Going off of that? What was the the point of Irene? I mean, was she really necessary to this episode at all? You know, because I, really, I can't think of one important factor she added to this episode, unless unless wasting time in a completely forgettable side story counts as important. Well, that's clearly what they were doing, but I think they were trying to um, show the practical side of this device and how it could be turned into a weapon. So we get to see how it can save lives, like Irene's, but how it can also destroy lives, like it does with Dr. Suzuki. They were trying to uh, humanize the story a little, and there was some filler. (laughs) Because you're right, as you were synopsizing it, you had mentioned the point where she calls Terry's house and leaves the voice message or excuse me, the message with his brother. And I was like, yeah, did they ever meet at the beach? No, they didn't. You know, (laughs) like, what was the point of that phone call then? (laughs) Yeah, that really, that just describes the entire character. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's completely unimportant. Yeah, it's, it was not necessary at all. Right. It was just to give Terry another love interest. You know, we've seen this before. He's got a wandering eye. We know that, you know, and and then they break his heart, I guess, at the I end. I wasn't – yeah, see, that's the thing. None of it was really hitting, you know, close to home or anything. I didn't feel – I didn't feel any emotion towards this quote-unquote relationship at all. It, no – oh, man, that's really shitty. I feel sorry for Terry. I was just like, who cares? Yeah, I – I don't. Yeah, I was happy that Irene – found someone that could relate to her. You know, Uh it was sort of like the whole, like, Gambit-Rogue relationship. I never really got into it. I don't know why. I just never did it. And that's sort of what we have here, where one of the people can't touch the other person, okay? Uh 
But by the end, she finds someone in the same predicament. And if they want to advance the relationship to a physical state, they can both maybe enter a larger uh, electric bubble thing that they're in or go into each other's chambers where if Terry tried to have a physical relationship with her, yes, I know I'm overanalyzing this, he would have to be completely disinfected and it just wouldn't work. So I felt good for her that she found love that she could actually attain as opposed to Terry who would just be cheating on his girlfriend again. (laughs) I have plenty of other questions about this episode Mm -hmm. though uh when did irene get terry's cell number in something that happened off screen i don't know yeah i guess but but if she has his cell number why did she call his house yeah earlier she calls his cell phone and then later on when she's in the city she calls his house i mean does you have to assume he carries his cell as batman there's enough pockets on that thing But a much more important question I have is, what happened to the terrorists buying the isotopes? And did they get that third isotope? Oh, my God. Did they drop that? You're right. They did. I forgot about that. Wow. There's Okay, you know what? I'm totally scribbling out the score I had here, and I'm marking it down another point. That Because they just, wow. Yeah, because Terry never goes after them, does he? No, he never even knew about the, the two that were buying the isotope. The thing I think what they should have done is just said, you know, just made a, some kind of offhand remark that they were Cobra agents. That's all oh, they yeah. could. Have, if they had done that, I would have completely forgotten about this and just like, oh, okay, you know what? They're Cobra. They're still waiting in the in the, you know, in the you know tree somewhere. They're going to be back at right. some point. We know they will. So, if they had just done made some kind of little remark like that, I would not have been, you know, I wouldn't have marked it off for this episode. But they just completely forgot about those people. Another thing. I found odd was when Dr. Blades enters the office where Dr. Suzuki in the glowing repeller suit is standing and in the same office where Irene in her bubble suit is cowering in the corner. He sees both of them, yet he says, Irene, he doesn't comment on the glowing guy. Yeah. Instead, he decides to be an asshole and yell at this girl who's Mm -hmm. cowering in the corner. Let's not yell at the guy who shouldn't be wearing the technology that he's wearing. Let's yell at the scared little girl. Or not little girl, but teenager. Like, seriously? You're a dick. I mean, they were playing him up to be a dick throughout the whole episode. I mean, as you said, grounding her. Well, you know, speaking of that, though, uh, I have to mention this. Terry was forbidden to go to that lab by Dr. Blades, but then there he is at the end of the episode in the lab. Well, no, I have to justify that one, though, because... Uh, Irene did say that Dr. Blades had relaxed his very strict attitudes. She did mm. say that. That's why she was able to go out on the town with the other bubble guy, whose name I can't remember, if they even gave him a name. Mm. So, yeah, I, I can't agree with you on that one. Oh. Okay. You know, for all of the complaining we're doing about this one, this episode did have something I liked, and that was getting into Bruce's psyche just a little bit because he starts telling Terry about how in his youth, women were throwing themselves at him. And Terry says, what did you do? Bruce says, I stepped over them. (laughs) And, you know, in that moment, I think he might have a little bit of dialogue beyond that, but in that moment, you can see just how lonely old man Bruce is. Because he just sits there and he looks down real briefly. He's very sad. 
to have nothing but his cave, his dog, and some strange boy hanging around in his cave with his dog. And I like that little bit of character development they gave Bruce, because if you really look at a lot of these episodes, a lot of the more recent ones, Bruce has been pushed to the wayside so they could really bring in Max and make her uh, his the person who gets him his intel that does a lot of his research and detective work for him. And I understand that they're aiming this at a younger audience. Kids don't necessarily want to see an 80 year old man in a cave, you know, yelling Terry into a microphone. I get what they're going for, but as a fan of the DCAU, it kind of saddened me, saddens me that they were doing that to the character. So I'm glad that they actually brought him back and developed him even further. Let's see. I don't think I have very many notes left, although I've I think I've lost count of how many hissy fits Dana has thrown at Terry. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure the number is escalating well into the ten thousands by now. But really, can you blame her? I I can't. That's the thing. I can't blame her at all. Uh, it's just it's getting really old, regardless. Yeah, I mean Terry's sitting there, just going off about. This girl he met, I mean, that's going to cause Dana to be jealous. Maybe she overreacted a little, but I I don't disagree with her attitude nonetheless. Just fucking break them up already. Yes, they should. Um, I think the last thing I want to bring up here was Dr. Blade's reaction to Bruce Wayne looking at the uh, R&D on the, uh, the repeller suit. First off, he doesn't recognize Wayne. His employer. Right. Let's say he didn't recognize him. At the very least, you'd think he would know the reputation of the company for which he works. But he doesn't even know that because he's thinking that Bruce wants to use the repelling device as a weapon. Like, seriously, does this guy not know that Bruce Wayne is anti-weapons? I mean, because think about it, if you go back to the old uh, BTAS episode where Bruce went blind, and remember, it happened due to that helicopter. Bruce leaned Mm -hmm. over to someone, I think it was Lucius, and said, you know, I still have major reservations about us developing weapons. You know, so right there you can tell Bruce doesn't want his company to be making weapons, yet this guy turns around and says, oh, so yeah, of course, you want to make weapons with this. Seriously? That's Bruce's track record. This guy is clueless. Not only is he a dick to these kids, or at least Irene, he's fucking clueless. And when Bruce Wayne offers to shake hands with you, you better fucking shake hands with him, because he doesn't do that for very many people. No. I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. If, If you don't shake Bruce's hand, you know what happens? You lose your fucking funding. Matt? Matt, where's your brother? Don't know. It doesn't look like he slept here last night. Maybe he came in after we were asleep and left before we woke up. He does that all the time. Except when has he ever made his bed? He's probably sick, that's all. He seemed fine last night. Yeah, but you never know what you might wake up with. That's what I'm worried about. McGinnis? Can you hear me? McGinnis?
not sick, Max. I just called his house and he hasn't been there all day. All day? Maybe Mr. Wayne had an emergency. You know how old people are. But why wouldn't he call? Dana, I gotta go. Somebody's here. If it's Terry... Yeah, I will. Where's Terry? Next up is Where's Terry? In this one... Terry sees a suspicious fellow in a trench coat and a hat enter the subway. So he follows him uh, down into, uh, you know, down the escalator. And uh, this guy actually ends up going, uh, you know, into the tunnels. He starts following the tracks. So Terry gives chase. And uh, we cut to the next day where no one has seen Terry. Not his mom, not his brother, not his girlfriend, not Max, not even Bruce knows where Terry is. So Bruce decides he has to find Terry. So uh, he visits Max and he says, where's Terry? She says he went to the subway, uh, but that's the last place I saw him. So uh, Bruce starts heading that way. And uh, Max becomes his shadow. Bruce doesn't want her there. He flat out tells her to go away, but she tells the old guy anyways. Uh, it turns out that Terry uh, was caught in a blast uh, created by Shriek. Um, and he was buried in some rubble and was knocked out for the entire night. When he wakes up, he finds this little street street urchin kid uh, whose name was, was it Dak? Dak, Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of standing over him saying, you know, you got to get out of these tunnels. And Terry says, no, 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 there's some suspicious, some suspicious stuff going on down here that I have to investigate. Um, so while he's doing that, uh, Shriek sends out another sound wave that uh, traps Terry and the kid in the tunnels. Uh, Terry wants to blast one of these walls to get themselves free, but uh, he can't do it because um, he's told by this kid that the Gotham River uh, surrounds uh, them. And if, if they blast open the walls, they're, they're going to drown instantly. Um, uh, but Terry actually does find a wall that isn't, uh, that doesn't have the river on the other side. But, oh, no, it actually has a beam. So he's used up all his explosives. Uh, so Terry thinks that they're stuck down there and they're just going to run out of oxygen and die. But that's not the case. When he blew open the one wall that didn't lead them anywhere, it actually caused a crack to form in the ceiling. And it's uh, not big enough for Terry to get through, but he's able to send Dak through. Uh, when Dak gets to the other side, he's met by Shriek. Uh, Shriek forces him to tell uh, him where uh, Terry is, uh, which leads to Shriek... Uh, blasting a wall, because Dak lies, and he says he's behind that wall. He blasts this wall, which does send the Gotham River uh, gushing in, uh, which pours into the little hole that Dak was able to get out of earlier. But in the process of that, you know, uh, Terry starts to drown a little, but it widens the hole. So he's finally able to get out. So once Terry is able to get out of the water, he hears Dak screaming uh, because he's uh, hanging from like a beam or something. And uh, he loses his grip and he falls uh, deep, real, real deep. It makes me wonder why there's such a deep hole in the subways, but whatever. Um, Terry dives after him. He's, you know, brings him back to the surface. But the second he reaches the surface, Shriek is standing there getting ready to obliterate Terry. But Bruce, I almost said Batman, <laughs> steps up from behind Shriek and pounds him into a coma with his cane, thus saving Terry's life. The end. Um, Max, 
is a snotty bitch. I'm tired of this character. I know when they first introduced her, I had said, I don't see why people dislike her. What's that all about? Now I openly hate this character. She mouths off to Bruce Wayne. She starts whining to Bruce that she's helped out so many times. When, when, when. I really wish Bruce would have turned around and just like, I don't know, drop some gas pellets on her or something. Oh my God. And then the fact that she saved Bruce's life from the thugs, because one of the things I didn't mention in my synopsis is that when Bruce and Max are in the subway, Max notices that some members of the, what, what are they called, the T's or something like that? T's, yeah. yeah. They have Terry's backpack, so they follow them to their hideout. Bruce goes in there, he's jumped by five or six of a gang member. Max comes in, he makes the two of them, allowing Bruce to get up and take care of the rest. So Max saved Bruce's life. If I didn't want to risk a coma... This is where I would smash my head on the desk. Because it's that frustrating. Yes, it's as frustrating as the Joker being involved in the murder of the Waynes. I'm not kidding. I'm done. What do you want to say about this one? Um, let's see. I did like that Bruce uh, was able to pretty much one-up Max at every turn except for that except for when she saves his life. Uh, because, you know, he turns the tables on her pretty quickly in the sewer there, mm. saying, oh, by the way, there's a little girl, there's a teenage girl over there running through there. Do you think that's safe? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, I loved that, because I was like, yes, Max is out of the picture. And I have to wonder if having her get arrested at the end of the episode, because, again, she was basically trespassing on those tracks, you know, and we see the police taking her away. If showing that, showing her get dragged away by the cops was sort of the producer's way of giving her some sort of comeuppance because she really is a snotty bitch throughout this entire thing. And she needed some thing to bring her back down to earth. Mm-hmm. And that, she's still, she's still whining about it. I'll sue. Yeah. Yeah, but, but still, you know she's gotten into a little trouble. I really have to think that's what they were going for there. Because think about it, the last couple of times we've seen her, she's, like, when we, when she was, uh, when she made that crack about, uh, what was his name, Jared, Terry's other friend, mm-hmm. remember? Like, she, she starts, like, ripping on that kid for, like, no good reason. And then when he bites back at her, she storms off like he did something wrong. It's like, you're the one that started it, stupid. And there were some other things. I don't remember if it's in one of the episodes we've already spoken about or, let's see. No, it doesn't happen in the next one we're speaking about, so it had to happen in one of the previous ones we've spoken about today, where she did some other things that I can't remember right now that, again, were just downright rude and unlikable. I I, I don't want to see this character ever again. I'm glad we're coming to the end of Batman Beyond, so I don't have to stomach her anymore. Um, I did like the music in this episode because I think it had a kind of a Silent Hill vibe to it, especially in the in the sewers or the subway tunnels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I re- I really did dig the music in this episode. Um, uh, Sh- Shreve pounded on a computer and it didn't explode. Yes, I was shocked. I was fully expecting an explosion, and it didn't happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, um. I think my favorite part of the episode, though, was, uh, you sure he's telling the truth? 
Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm convinced that Bruce's interrogation techniques involve that cane <laughs> and in some orifice, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm con- I'm just convinced of it. Well, I don't know. I don't think Bruce has to, because if you think about that one Justice League episode where he leans into, I think it's Deadshot. Yeah, I forgot about that. And he whispers something, and Wonder Woman turns to Superman, and she says, what did he say? And Superman's like, you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. I completely forgot about that. It's one of my favorite moments of yeah. all of Justice League. I mean, they cut away and thus imply that there was some beating with the cane, but I'm not entirely convinced. He might have just used some harsh words. You know, because if you think yeah. about it, in the next one we're going to talk about, in that flashback sequence, Bruce takes down that one Joker, and he sticks the cane up against his forehead and doesn't say a thing, really. He just well, he scowls said, Get out of here. Right, but I mean, he really yeah. just scowls at him, just showing you, you know, how frightening his cold stare can be. So, I don't know. I, I like the fact that they don't show us what's happening, though. Yeah, leaves it to your imagination. Exactly, which makes it all the more frightening because as you know you as you said you see him as doing some pretty nasty vile things with the cane where i think he just says some very scary words you yeah. know or someone else maybe a combination of both exactly where someone else might just think he stares at him long and hard until the guy breaks who knows Cause, yeah because they never tell exactly how long they were in there no max is, max is out there chewing gum like really nervously her hands are shaking she's like oh god what's going on now i will say this i did like the fact that they showed max being nervous because we've seen her get into some scrapes with terry before but this time you know she was surrounded by five or six gang members her only protection was an old man you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so i could understand why her hands would be shaking in that situation and i like the fact that they added it in you know, the character of Dak is very obviously anime-inspired. Yeah. But, and I I want to say he's inspired by a certain character, but I can't quite put my finger on who it is. And it's driving me nuts, as you can imagine. Yeah, I was picking up an anime vibe with him, too, but I'm not well-versed in anime, so I really can't say. But there was something there. Um, regarding him, though, um, can we possibly say one of the worst voice acting performances ever? Yeah, I'm not going to say worst voice actor ever because I don't know who did the performance, but it was some very terrible work. Yeah. It, I mean, there was only one line that I thought was delivered well, and that was the one where he says, back in school, half the kids wanted to be you. I was in the other half. That was funny. And like I said, I think it was it delivered with really good timing, but everything else, the pace was off. And it, it actually seemed like whoever was doing the voice was reading from a script and not actually, you know, having a conversation with someone. Yeah, that was actually the same guy who did the voice of Tim Drake in Mystery of the Batwoman. Did we like Tim in Mystery of the Batwoman? The we noted that it was a different voice, but I don't think we liked it okay. per se or whatever. I, I mean, I think I think we did kind of like, ah, that voice is different so that may be just a continuation um how the hell is shriek hearing dak in that conversation he's not wearing any of his equipment his helmet is off he has no headset on or anything and he's just talking to 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 dak huh chalk it up to a flub 
I didn't even notice that. Because, yeah, earlier they do reestablish that he needs headphones or a hearing aid or his helmet to hear when his... Because mm-hmm. that's his tuning fork buddy, right? Yeah, Ollie. I, think, I even think he talks to Ollie without it on also. Because I, I know that guy's talking to him and he puts his, whatever, his device on to hear. But from that point forward, I don't remember if we see him wearing the device when he's talking to and therefore listening to people. Um, now, while we're speaking about that character, though, how did Terry recognize him? Because at first you're meant to think that he just thought that that guy was suspicious. Because, come on, he's wearing a trench coat and the hat and carrying a briefcase, I think he was, while looking around real suspiciously. Okay, I can understand why Terry would follow him. But later on, to Dak, he says, I thought I recognized someone. How? Like, what gave it away that it was Tuning Fork guy? Did, did he have the Tuning Fork in his hand? I don't think so. That just seems so weird to me. Oh, God, walking down the street, basically <laughs> masturbating with the tuning fork. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and there's a little bit of continuity, or maybe it's discontinuity, that I feel we should mention. Um, in, what was the previous episode we just did? Was it Big Time or Untouchable? Un- untouchable? Yeah. There was the scene where Terry fell into the river and all that all the rubble fell on top of him, correct? Yeah, I know what you're about to say. Too. And when he comes out of the water, he's wearing uh, like almost an oxygen mask over his mouth so he could breathe under mm-hmm. the water. But in this episode, when he ends up under the water, these tubes automatically come out of his neck and form this little breathing apparatus in, uh, over his mouth. Now, is that discontinuity, or can you say they upgraded the suit since the last time Terry fell into the water and they realized, hey, we need to have something that does it automatically in case you get knocked out while you fall into water. Which way do you see it? Discontinuity or they upgraded the suit? Um, I think I'm kind of leaning towards upgrading the suit just because this episode aired so long after uh, Untouchable did because after before this, Payback aired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then before that, uh, I'm trying to think, Centuries of the Last Cosmos aired before that. Um, ooh, this, I don't know, this goes back a while. Uh, then April Moon before that, so, yeah, this, this was a long time after, I, I, you know, I'm gonna go with Upgraded the Suit. Okay, okay. That, that, I mean, that, I have no opinion either way. You know, I, I could mm-hmm. say it's discontinuity, I could say they upgraded the suit, and, it wouldn't bother me, really, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I think I'll go with. If I had to choose, I think I, I'd go with. Uh, they upgraded the suit too, because it only makes sense that Bruce would constantly, or maybe hell Terry would constantly be tweaking this costume that uh-huh. really has saved his life more times than we can count at this point, because it's you know it, it's it's helped him survive falls, getting slashed open. And now, crushed. yeah, crushed and now uh, drowning. So, yeah, it, it seriously only makes sense that they would tweak it all the time. Um, I think we've addressed this previously, so pardon me for asking it if we already have. Is this the first time we've seen Terry and Dana kiss? Uh, that was, yeah, that was my first note, actually. Because Mine, too. Because now remember, real early on in the series, every time they would go for a kiss, something would happen, a phone would ring, 
an explosion or someone would get in their way. But have they actually had an on-screen kiss? My exact note was, holy shit, Terry and Dana kiss on screen. <laughs> yeah, I, this, if, if not the first, I think the first actually did happen already. I, this is the second. No more than that, though. Okay. But I, I want to... I want to say we've seen it happen before. I just don't remember the episode. Yeah, if there's anybody out there that can tell us for sure that it's happened before, write in and let us know what episode that was. Because I'm with James here, where I feel we've seen it before, but I can't remember it happening before. And because I noticed it, that almost makes me think maybe it hasn't happened before. Big. Black. A Dane mix. He's got tags. Nothing's been reported in any of the shelters. He's a very resourceful dog. Rest assured, sir, if he's out there, we'll catch him. It's what we do. No luck from the shelters and you're still not worried? I don't worry. What's that? Undercover ploy. I found someone who could lead me to our friend Ronnie Boxer. I just have to trick him into doing it. And who knows? Maybe I'll get a lead on Ace from him, too. What did he do to you, boy? Lastly up today is Ace in the Hole. Uh, in this one, Terry is walking Ace while Bruce goes to the chiropractor, and uh, Ace suddenly goes nuts and just starts chasing after this guy. Uh, and Terry man- tries to keep up with him, and he manages to catch up to him in an alley where the guy is, just tries to shoot Ace to get him off of his arm, because Ace is basically ripping his arm apart. And the guy escapes, and... Ace continues chasing him down the freeway where Terry just completely loses sight of them. Um, Bruce then traces the serial number of the gun that uh, was dropped in the alley, and it was supposedly had already been destroyed by the police. And Terry then pieces a mugshot together later, and they find that the guy's name is uh, Ronnie Boxer, a notorious financier of uh, dogfighting. And uh, Terry goes undercover to find uh, Boxer while Bruce... You know, remembers the story of how he found Ace. Uh, Ace was pretty much born and bred to be a fighter by this boxer guy. And one night before Ace was supposed to fight a much larger dog, uh, the police stormed Boxer's operation and put a halt to it. But Ace managed to run away and into the city where he wandered alone for an indefinite period of time. Uh, Bruce then one night goes and does Mike's favorite thing and lays two roses <laughs> in, the, in the alley where his parents were murdered. Um, but this this uh, clown guy sneaks up on, on him, and uh, Ace, who is wandering around in the snow, attacks the guy before he can attack Bruce. Well, the guy bashes Ace in the head with some kind of billy club or something like that, and uh, Bruce, like we said earlier, subdues the guy and gets him the hell out of there. So Bruce takes Ace back to his limo, and the rest is history. Um, so back in the present, an animal control guy, who happens to be the guy who originally sold the puppy Ace to uh, Boxer, tries to capture Ace, but he gets away. Uh, Terry then follows Boxer's right-hand man into an alley and manages to uh, act his way into getting uh, Boxer's number by pretending to be a guy who wants to sell a fighting dog. Um, Ace is then captured by the guy from before uh, as Terry goes to Boxer's chem lab, basically. And it turns out that Boxer is using uh, growth hormone on the dogs to turn them into these monster things. And Boxer enter, enters the room and attacks Batman and manages to get away. And later, the guy, Matty, who was trying to, who captured Ace, uh, tries to sell Ace to Boxer, but he realize, he, uh, Boxer recognizes Ace from uh, all those years ago 
and he takes him himself. Uh, so Batman goes to where the fighting games are taking place aboard some barge, and he's ambushed by Boxer in this, in, and trapped in like this arena thing uh, where he has to fight this gigantic monstrosity created by Boxer. And after a particularly brutal fight, uh, Ace manages to save Terry and causes Boxer to fall over the edge of the boat. And uh, Ace and Ace is reunited with Bruce to end the episode. So, thoughts? I really like this one. Hells, yes. When I realized it was going to be, like, the origin of Ace, at first I was like, well, do we need an origin for Ace? Really? You know, you just accept that at some point Bruce got a guard dog that hates everybody but Bruce. You know, because Ace is a lot like Bruce. You know, he, you know, he, he's good intentioned, but he really hates everybody. You know, <laughs> he's the Great Dane version of Bruce, pretty much so. But then I started watching this one, and I'm like, this is a damn fine show, right here. I mean, this shows you how much heart Batman Beyond and any cartoon in the DCAU can have. Mm-hmm. Um. And I thought the flashback stuff with Ace was really solid as well. Um, I love seeing puppy Ace. <laughs> so cute. I, I literally paused it. Jen was on the couch. She was reading a book. I go, you got to look at this. I go, look, look, look. She goes, oh, it's a puppy. I go, it's puppy Ace. She's like, Batman's dog? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, okay, this is going to sound weird, but I liked the fact that they sort of showed the training in quotes, we'll say that Ace went through, they start out with the newspaper with the guy sort of whapping him on the nose Mm -hmm. and then they show him put on the glove and we can kind of infer what happened from there. Now I'm not saying I liked, you know, the idea of a puppy being tortured and turned into a fighting dog, quite the opposite. I, I loathe that. But mm-hmm. I like the fact that they didn't shy away from it. Because if you're going to do an episode about dogfighting, you have to get down and dirty with it. Oh, yeah. And they did. Again, it was kept off screen, but they didn't shy away from the fact that Ace was tortured. And he harbored resentment and a deep hatred for this guy that did this to him. To the point that at the end of the episode... Ace pretty much kills the guy. Since I brought that up, did that guy die or did he survive? Because it's very ambiguous. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. I, I I love Terry's reaction to seeing the guy hanging over the side of the barge. He's just like, huh, and he just walks away with Ace. Right, and keep in mind that the collar that he's hanging from is ripping. Because mm-hmm. what we should say is uh, Ronnie, that's the, the guy, he's trying to get away, and Ace jumps him, and it looks like they both go over the edge of the barge. Uh, we cut back to Terry, still fighting this mutant dog. Ace runs in and saves Terry's life by distracting the dog real briefly, which allows Terry to uh, subdue the, the, the big um, puppy, we'll say. <laughs> oh, oh, God, um, that thing was nasty. It was. But then... When Ace and Terry go back out into the open air and look over the edge of the barge, they see the guy hanging there. You know, we were, you know, at first we think, oh, he fell overboard and he's in the water somewhere, you know. But no, we see him 
you know, his coat got snagged on some beam or something, but it's tearing. It's very clearly tearing. And as James said, Terry just says, hmm, and they both walk away. We do not see him save the guy. So I, I have to ask, did he save the guy or did he let him fall to his death? Or did he let him fall into the water and the Gotham PD picked him up? Yeah, see, that's the thing. I mean, if he falls, he's only going to fall maybe 20 five-ish feet. And we've seen people fall farther into water. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, the only thing that really could have killed him is if he managed to fall into the propellers of the barge. But that's probably not going to happen because the barge would be going the opposite, would be going, continue going while he falls straight down. Yeah. So, he probably, it's very likely he just, he survived and he fell in the water and we have to hope the police pick the guy up. No, we don't have to hope. <laughs> I no, well, you know, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I mean, just to imprison the fucker. You know, see, I like to think that the guy died uh, from the second you realize what this guy is doing and has done in the past. You kind of know his fate. You know, this isn't a guy that's long for the world. Once Batman and Ace get their hands on him. Well, and and I, I really have to go with fell into the water and maybe it was a cold winter night and he froze to death or he got or, sucked into the propeller or Ace said, fuck it, and jumped overboard and mauled the guy's face off. And Terry said, eh, and grabbed Ace. You know what they should have done, though? They should have done is just had a shark kind of swimming by. Yeah. That's, all they, that's all they would have had to have done and you would have known exactly what happens to the guy. You know what? It would have been a little ridiculous, but I wouldn't have minded it. You know, that would have been awesome. <laughs> and it would have been apropos. It would have been, uh, you know, poetic justice. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I would, I would not shed a tear at all if the guy was eaten alive by anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's basically, you know, this is like the Michael Vick episode. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because yeah, I've I, never owned a dog. You know, I know you uh, have a dog yourself. A dog or multiple dogs? Uh, we have two dogs. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so I know... Actually, three. I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I know, obviously, you love them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so you're going to care deeply for them, so you're going to have strong feelings uh, when it comes to people that, that torture animals. But I've never owned a dog. You know, I, I was bitten by one at a young age. So I was scared of them for the longest time. You know, I've gotten over that fear since then. And, you know, even if I was still fearful of dogs, I would not want to see them tortured and forced into that lifestyle. And anybody that does that, I think, is completely vile. And that's why I said earlier, you know this character's fate from the get-go. And if he dies... So what? And when um, I was explaining the end of this episode to Jenny, she goes, but if Batman let him die, wouldn't that go against the Batman code? And I said, well, there's a difference between actively killing someone and not saving them. By -hmm. not saving them, you're letting them die. And it's questionable as to whether, you know, you killed them, we'll say. But it's still different. It's the old parad- the paradox we come back to time and time again. Right, exactly. I mean, there's a big difference between putting a bullet in someone's head and reacting a little too slowly when they're falling to their doom and into a shark's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest note here is just how that brutal fight. Mm. Wow. 
there, I, I can't think of many more just brutal fights in the DCAU than that one. You're talking about the um, one with the abomination of a dog, right? Versus, yeah, versus Batman, yeah. I mean, God, Terry's pulling out saw blades, getting crushed, chewed up, regurgitated. Ace jumps into the fray, and he gets, and the guy, the thing gets electrocuted. It's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, when, when the dog fell over and crushed Terry, I literally winced. I literally went, ooh, and recoiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when, when it rips half of the costume yes. off, I was oh. like, oh, shit. I, I thought his arm got ripped off. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, Terry's going to die. <laughs> yeah. And he's going he's gonna to be dog shit. <laughs> what I was loving about it was Ace jumping in to save Terry. Hell, yeah. Because, you know, oftentimes in real life you'll see – you know, dogs are intimidated by bigger dogs. You know, they might bark for a second or two, but then they'll back away. You yeah. know, when the when the other dog makes a movement or barks themselves. But no, Ace has got some balls. I mean, he jumps in and he's barking at this thing. He's saying, "You get the hell out of here, you thing." You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, as I said earlier, you know, allowed Terry just that moment he needed to get the upper hand in that fight. And, you know, you feel bad for that dog, too. We're supposed to see it as a monster, and it is a monster. You can't deny that. But it's not his fault. You know, he didn't choose to be that way. This this Ronnie fucker mutated this thing. He even laughs it off. He's like, oh, that was my first experiment. Ha, ha, ha. I guess I used a little too much mutagen on him. He even says he was going to fucking kill it. Yeah, I was going to put him out to pasture. But I figured I might need him one day for something like this. Like, wow, this guy's a douchebag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, remember remember last WFP you were saying if ever you wanted somebody to come in and shoot somebody, Ian Peake? Um, yeah, you better change it to Ronnie Boxer. Exactly. Put a bullet in the guy's head. <laughs> um, I think another good thing this episode did was there were a lot of quiet moments that focused only on Ace walking through the streets, both in flashback form and in the uh, current story Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's a gutsy move it's a very gutsy move when you're doing it in a cartoon that's aimed at a younger audience hell it's a gutsy move when you do it in any sort of programming even a drama but to get away with it in a cartoon as we're watching a dog walk down a street really you think that's gonna work but it does and the reason it works is because of how powerful the music is as we're watching Ace walk down those lonely streets. Mm-hmm. And especially especially when Terry gets Boxer's number out of the guy and Ace walks by and sees the bandage that Terry was wearing as yeah. like a costume piece and he sniffs it and he's like, aww. <laughs> because he perks up. He's like, he, he recognizes Terry's scent and... You know, he gets all he, his tail starts wagging, and the music is going. It's just a really powerful scene. Yeah, and that shows, well, some continuity, really, because if you look at the earliest of episodes in Batman Beyond, Ace doesn't like Terry. Nope. He's barking at him, you know. Then Terry doesn't even like Ace, you know, calling him Scooby. And then uh, here, I mean, he's out looking for the. I mean, think about it. he wanted to find Ace before he found the villain. Before yeah. they knew what was really going on, you know, what the plot was right. here. Mm-hmm. He's telling Bruce, look, I'll deal with whatever's going on as soon as we find Ace. And Bruce says, no, Ace is resourceful. He's a survivor. You go deal with whatever you have to deal with in regards to finding this dickhead. You know, and, uh, 
you know, if if they would have done this story in the first season of Batman Beyond, that wouldn't have made sense. But now that we're so far deep into it, it makes a lot of sense because Mm -hmm. the dog's grown on him and vice versa. It sounds weird to say that there's been character development for Ace, but I'm going to say it. There's been character development for Ace. (laughs) And dare I say it more than Dana. Yeah, that's a solid point, I would say. (laughs) I've given more character development to a dog than Dana. (laughs) That is sad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Sorry to put a damper on the the loving festivities here. (laughs) No, but, I mean, you you have a a good point. (laughs) Um, I really think the only thing that I can gripe about with this one And this is just nitpicking. It's serious nitpicking here, okay? Uh But I have to bring it up anyways. Terry is in the Batmobile looking for Ace, hovering above the city. Does he really think being in a flying car that's going over 200 miles per hour is going to allow him to find a stray dog? Yeah, I'm not got gonna... a point. Although, of course, you know, there's the issue of him not having enough fuel in the rocket boots to hover lower. No, 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 no. I know that, but... I don't know, just grab one of Bruce's cars and drive around the streets is what I'm saying. Yeah. Taking a car that can fly above the buildings and does over 200 miles per hour rocketing through the, the skyways there doesn't seem like the smartest way to find a street dog. While I agree with you there, um, it does give us another kind of sad moment where Ace sees the Batmobile yeah. flying over the city and he's like, he's, he, he perks up again. He's like, oh. Well, yeah, and that's the whole thing with this episode is Ace keeps finding Terry, not vice versa. Mm-hmm. As as you said earlier, Ace found the bandage that Terry accidentally, well, not, well, that he just sort of threw on the ground, you know, and he starts trying to find Terry that way, and he sees the Batmobile. It's, it's funny that Ace is a better detective <laughs> than Terry is. Oh, he's got a good nose. Yeah. Oh, 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 that was that was good. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about this one? No, I don't think so. Okay, should we get onto our scores then? I believe so. Okay, what are you going to give Centuries of the Last Cosmos? I will give that a six. I do not disagree. What do you want to give big time? Uh, as I was saying, morbidly average, I'll give it a five. I do not know why... But I wrote down a 7 for this one. But I'm going to change that to a 6 because eh, not terrible, but as you said, average-ish. Untouchable. Uh, That one gets a 4. That one gets a 5 from me. Where's Terry? Uh, For Bruce entirely, I'm giving it a 5. But if it weren't for him, believe me, this would be getting a lot lower. I didn't even write down a score for this one. <laughs> I'm just now realizing that. Um, I'll agree with you and give that a five. And what about Ace in the Hole? Uh, I am so torn on this one. I I, I want to give it a, a sentimental ten, but it's just not memorable enough, so I'm going to give it a nine. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm right there with you. I want to give it a ten. Besides the one nitpick I mentioned... I really can't think of anything bad about this episode. There's no reason to not give it a 10. And for me, it is sort of memorable. 9 or 10, 9 or 10. I'm going to give this one a 10. But I'm going to use your phrasing there. It is a sentimental 10. Now are you going to tell me where you got that backpack? 
I'm never gonna tell you nothing. Never. Would you step out for a moment, please? He found it this morning, down in the old shelter below the subway station. He didn't see anyone near it. You sure he's telling the truth? Yes. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman Beyond. Those being King's Ransom, Betrayal, Out of the Past, Speak No Evil, and Inkling. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Thank you.